Welcome to The Pestle. Reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Groundhog Day. Hosted by Groundhog Day. Let's dim the lights and start the show. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. Today's episode is brought to you by the Pepperwood Chronicles. Pick up Nick Miller's new book about a hard-boiled Chicago cop turned New Orleans detective. How's it going, everybody? I am Wes. And I am Todd. And I am Wes. And I am Todd. <laughs> Welcome to the festival. <laughs> I liked that one a lot, man. It was a lot of fun. Thanks. <laughs> um, this is the festival where we like to discuss films in great detail. Uh, there's going to be spoilers, so if you haven't seen La La Land before, be prepared because we're not going to we're not only going to talk about you know whether or not we liked it in this generic way, but we're going to get into specifics mm-hmm. and. Hopefully, there's some good specifics in this movie too. I think so. Yeah, in a lot of ways, there's really good mm-hmm. symbolism. We'll, we'll we'll talk about some of that. We'll talk about Technicolor and film and music and Hollywood and the transitions. And I'm sure we'll definitely dive into the drama of everything that's going on in this film because mm-hmm. it's rich in so many ways. It really is. I mean, not even from like an acting standpoint, but mm-hmm. just directional wise, it's 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 so involved. I mean, the production of putting all this together, you know, you, you, there's so many different sets, um, that you see for just a second and you're looking at that. And if you really know, like, like, you know what it takes to make a movie, you think they probably spent seven, eight hours putting that building that set longer, maybe days to see it for three or four seconds (laughs) in that one montage shot that you have. Uh, and and it really feels like it was set up to feel like a mu- like a like a play. Yeah, you know, most like a lot of it, you know. Uh, and I do not like musicals. Let me just point that out. I hate musicals. I'll just go ahead and say that. <laughs> um, I think that they're they're usually boring, and they take five minutes to say what you could say in ten seconds, and it it just is not fun for me. Plus I'm a musician and 99% of the time you don't see the people actually playing the music. And if you, even if you are seeing those people, they're not really playing it. Right. And it's noticeable that you're yes. not playing it or that they're Very. not singing or whatever. Um, uh, that being said, that's not the case in this film. You know, uh, Ryan Gosling actually plays piano. He, he took three months and he learned how to play piano yeah. that well in three months is incredible. Uh, the, uh, the, his, his piano teacher, he would meet with her two hours a day, six days a week. Um, but even then, like that's not a lot when you haven't played piano in your life right. and you're trying to learn how to play jazz, you know? God. Yeah. Cause I couldn't get, Oh, it would take a whole hell of a lot of work for me to get there. Yeah. I mean, cause he is, killing it yeah just incredible and she said that he you know he wouldn't have time to learn how to how to read music so she just like skipped that she's like okay this is what you're going to learn how to play and she'd teach him a piece and he would learn it note for note and then she'd like change something and he'd learn that so he'd learn where he could also go because there were a couple of scenes where he actually improvised (laughs) and like the scene where um uh He's sitting in uh, at the towards the beginning where he sits down. He's about to play 
um, a bunch of Christmas music and he plays a bunch of Christmas music, but then he kind of gets tired of it and he starts playing that one tune that he was writing when she walks in and, uh, and then he vamps off into something or he vamps from the Christmas music into this, this piece. It was, it was just, it it was like his improv doing that. It just coming from a musician. I appreciate that so much. I mean, I've already, I already do like Ryan Gosling. Um, uh, and I think he's a really great actor. Uh, but, it's hard to be a, a really good actor. I feel like in this movie, unless you really throw yourself into it and he just, he, he was excited to play this role because he wanted to learn how to play piano. <laughs> and he did. And he's he just incredible. Incredible. Yeah. And to play, to play piano next to John legend. Oh God. Like intimidating. <laughs> just a little bit. I mean, maybe not that intimidating if you're not a musician, but if you are and you're just like, Oh man, Awesome. How about a synopsis? Yeah, let, let's <laughs> jump into that. Sorry, I just had to point that out because I was so excited when I learned that. All right. While navigating their careers in Los Angeles, a pianist and an actress fall in love while attempting to reconcile their aspirations for the future. It's written and directed by Damien Chazelle, uh, starring Ryan Gosling as Sebastian and Emma Stone as Mia. What? Amy Brandt, the casting director. Yeah. She was at your play. And she loved it. And she loved it so much that she wants you to come in tomorrow and audition for this huge movie that she's got. I'm not going to that. I'm not going to that. What? That one's going to be... No. That one's going to be... I'm sorry? That will kill me. What? 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 Shh! Stop! No! Shh! You have to be quiet. If you want me to, then you have to make sense. If you want me to be quiet, you have to make some goddamn sense. You tell me why you're not going. Because, because I've been to a million auditions and the same thing happens every time where I get interrupted because someone wants to get a sandwich or I'm crying and they start laughing or there's people sitting in the waiting room and they're, and they're like me, but prettier Mm. and better at the, because maybe I'm not good enough. Yes, you are. No. No, maybe I'm not. Yes, you are. Maybe I'm not. You are. Maybe I'm not. You are. Maybe I'm one of those people that has always wanted to do it, but it's like a pipe dream for me, you know? And then you you set it. You, you change your dreams and then you grow up. Maybe I'm one of those people and I'm not supposed to. And I can go back to school and I can find something else that I'm supposed to do because I left to do that and it's been six years and I don't want to do it anymore. Why? Why what? Why don't you want to do it anymore? Because they think it hurts a little bit too much. You're a baby. I'm not a baby. You I'm are. trying to grow up. You're crying like a baby. Oh, my God. And you have an audition tomorrow at 530. I'll be out front at 8 a.m. You'll be out front or not. I don't know. How did you find me here? The house in front of the library. <laughs> so good. Oh, my God. They're, I get lost what? in the scene. <laughs> It scared me. You're like a baby. Yeah. <laughs> no, and he's because he's, he, he's so quiet and half the time. Yeah, just like explodes. What? <laughs> and I love his casual demeanor as he's walking off or driving off. He's like, 
I'll be out here at eight. You'll be out here at eight or not. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Zooms off. Oh, <laughs> uh, there's so much about that scene though that kills me. I mean, as an artist, I think anyone who's an artist can certainly relate to yeah. everything she's talking about. Um, and then even if you're not, I feel like anyone who's ever had dreams. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, so it's a pretty universal thing. I think you just relate maybe a little extra hard if you're a, if you're an artist just yeah. because she's specifically talking about art and creating and being rejected, especially after having just spent so much time creating this thing that was supposed to be her her avenue. And then nobody shows up. Nobody cares. What she doesn't see, obviously, is the guy in the back of the room. Yeah, that was the guy. There's, and it's it's such a good um, kind of uh, example of. Yeah, I've been, I had been a musician for 20 years, and you always go playing a gig hoping that there's that one guy in the back of the room, or or girl, whatever, it doesn't matter. Yeah, there's that one person in the room where, you know, if there's six people there there's that one person and that one person could be as small as, as like just somebody who really needed to, he- to hear that or see that. Or it could be something as, as big as, as, Oh, they want to sign you or they want you to audition for this big film or, you know, they you thought you were amazing, know. you know, and you just don't, yeah, you just never know. So you just do as much as you can. Right? But in every one of those performances where you'd see, Oh, the turnout is nil and maybe there's only one person or no people. Yeah. Um, did that affect your performance? Uh, that's it's kind of a loaded question. Probably. It, it probably did. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I would say as the years went on, it would. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. I mean, you have, you only have so much in you, I feel like. Yeah. Um, and yeah. some people have more than others. Um, uh, but in something as, something like acting or like music, where it's so reliant on someone else thinking that you're good, right? Yeah, uh, it becomes exhausting yeah. after years of doing the same thing over and over again and hearing the same, or not hearing anything. Right, the silence. <laughs> you know, silence, which is almost worse yeah. in, in a lot of cases. Yeah. You know, I can't tell you the number of gigs I went out and played my ass off, as as <clears throat> just as, and and I thought I had, we had perfect nights, you know, and you know at the end of the night, what do you have to show for it? At like a hundred bucks and you know, a couple of beers, like, yeah. you know, and after, you know, the first five, even 10 years, like that's still exciting. Yeah. Oh, we made a hundred bucks. That's great. <laughs> you know? Uh, but then it just starts to weigh on you. Like, why am I doing this? Why am I driving five hours to go play this show for an hour and a half? And if you're lucky for an hour and a half and then maybe make a few bucks and spend it all on gas on the <laughs> right. way back. Like, is you start to question not just you know should i be doing this you know but but am i good enough to do it you know there's a reason why other people are discovered and i'm not discovered Mm. or or whatever so when she starts talking about that it it really related to me when she was saying that she was um like maybe i'm not good enough you know maybe maybe i'm just uh you know she's like ready to quit yeah. You know, she she had already decided to quit. Yeah, she'd already moved. Left. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and she was starting to be okay with that decision and and he just wouldn't hear it. he wouldn't let her. In, in this circumstance it might be a little bit different because it was a big audition. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and she's being requested. She's being requested. Like that's 
to turn that down like yeah. i mean even if you had made the decision to quit like if if uh puncher's chance man you just gotta you, i mean yeah you gotta do it yeah. and if it if I had, if someone, if a, if J- Jimmy Iovine were to request my right. band to play, <laughs> I, damn right, I'd, I'll get back in the garage and rehearse yeah. and get up there and play for him. Absolutely. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, uh, I definitely identified with, with her frustration with the whole thing. And I did the whole LA thing scene for a while and it was, uh, it's tough, man. It's tough. I'd imagine, I mean, especially, everything in here that has to do with music um mm. you haven't explored that scene in la uh for for time how long were you out in la about four and a half years oh my god yeah yeah i didn't realize it was that long yeah and it wasn't um it wasn't for film it was for music you know i, m- I moved out there after after school and um didn't know anybody just went with whatever i could fit in my car and uh and it was the best thing I could have ever done. I still have friends. I was talking to a friend from LA the, the other day. Still have some of my best friends that live out there, still. Um, and there, I met some amazing musicians and had some great experiences and did a bunch of touring. It was it was great. It just it's bittersweet. It, yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, there was a lot about it that I didn't identify with too. Uh, so, you know. Interesting. What's your take on La La Land? Um, I know you love it. Um, yeah. As we do, both do. Um, but what connects you with it? What, what makes you say, oh, man, this is – I hate musicals, but I love <laughs> but what's I love going this. on here. Yeah. Well, that's a really good question. And I thought about that this, when we just watched it the yeah. second time. I, I think – the under the underpinning of this of this story so we had our friend ryan over here last night and we were talking about it and he's he made a, an interesting point he thought that the that the casting overshadowed the story and at first when he said that i was like you know what maybe that that makes sense like yeah i mean you have two blockbuster actors portraying unknowns yeah exactly in the industry yeah it's kind of like it's kind of a little like a slap in the face yeah, to everybody that's, really that's an unknown yeah. um but after watching it a second time i i kind of disagree only i mean i agree with him right. because of what we just said yeah. but i kind of disagree because i love them yeah you know i see their frustration you know emma stone as as quirky and awkward as I feel like her face, facial <laughs> yeah. expressions are, uh, is just amazing in this film. And, uh, and I mean, Ryan Gosling can do the quiet dude all day long and, oh. and yeah. like <laughs> the quiet, bitter guy. So, uh, so I don't really, I don't really feel that way. I feel like it's just, it's more of a love story than anything. And, um, a really good one because, spoiler they don't end up together yeah it is i feel like when a movie gets to that point where they realize our main characters can't end up together they've done some really rich exploration of characters to yeah. arrive at that otherwise unsatisfying conclusion yeah because if you're going to get there and you're going to get there honestly you have to really mine those depths yeah and have a reason and uh, an arch that's going to take you there in a in a satisfying way or else you're just a terrible yeah and it and the the, it was just 
it was so well done that they they you know brought you to that to that um, that really uncomfortable moment of her being in the audience and him seeing her mm-hmm. and sitting down at the piano and you and there's just silence everywhere and it's deafening and and then he starts to play and it just replays everything and how these little decisions they just change these like four or five little decisions and then they end up together in the audience listening to someone else play it it's it's just really well thought out and i thought that the directing in general and the producing let's yeah. talk about the producing yeah. in this in this film uh, i mean from the set dressing to um the congruency when it when they go back and, and replay everything mm-hmm. again uh, from the camera angles to what people were wearing uh it was it was just beautiful there's a lot to do with a i think a 30 million dollar budget I well mean, yeah they, they killed that- i mean i hope a lot of that went to the score because yeah. <laughs> it was it was amazing freaking on point yeah um well what one of the things I really love about this film is I didn't realize it until I sat down and I did my whole I'm gonna take notes on everything and try to figure out what they're doing. Um because the colors are obvious, right? There's they're using a lot of these primary colors and a lot of solid uh blocks of color, so it's not just, you know, a yellow pattern dress. It's just a yellow dress. And so it has a lot yeah. of callback to this technicolor era of Hollywood. And it dawned on me some point early on, it took me probably till the end of the film to really start to try and pin it down. And I'm not sure I still have, but uh, initially my <laughs> well, thoughts. Let's talk about it anyway. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Because <laughs> we have the forum. Yeah. <laughs> and. Initially, it looked like, oh, this is a story about old Hollywood and new Hollywood and how they're not on the same path anymore. And then it Hmm. finally realized, uh, dawned on me, probably obvious to a lot of people out there, but it's the story of music and Hollywood um, and how they were together for a period of time. And it was this glorious time, Um, you know, looking back and, you know retrospect but it's interesting because you get to that final scene and it kind of highlights all the ways that that, that's true um the first time they met what does gosling do or uh, sebastian he snubs her right he just brushes right by her early on in the film history right film and sound didn't run together oh yeah interesting you had music that would play a pianist in theater that would play along to the to the the film, and that was your your entertainment basically. That because there's no audio, there's no dialogue, um, there's nothing that you could capture in the moment, and so there was a separation that was happening early on. And it wasn't until uh, you know later on. I don't have the exact year, but yeah. and and even color wasn't a thing until I mean the 30s, um, and even wow. then the technology was there in the 20s, but. Um, it was prohibitively expensive and it wasn't really until like 29, 30 that it became like, okay, we can do this. But then the great depression happened and they're like, yeah, that's still too expensive. And Technicolor. That's cool. I never even thought about this. And Technicolor, uh, I didn't realize until researching, you know, a couple hours ago, Technicolor was a beast. 
to do. Really? I'm in the middle of reading this lighting book. And so I, I look, this first bit I, I did learn last week, but apparently Technicolor insisted having their own uh, rep on set of films that were shooting in Technicolor because they wanted to make sure the exposure was going to be proper and that they weren't stretching the, uh, the color scheme too, too harsh for the color film. And because before that, everyone really light by eye. Uh, eventually, the, the, the whole idea of a light meter that would help ex, you know settle your exposure and you could get these lighting ratios down. Um, but that wasn't until after basically Technicolor came on the scene. Before that, they would just light by eye and say, yeah, that's going to be enough light to, to expose the film. Yeah. But Technicolor came on, and the way that ran, which blew my mind, they were running three separate strips of film through the camera to to collect red, green, and blue, <laughs> and then they would wow. run those in conjunction back. And what that meant, and this is what really screwed me up like an hour ago, was that their ISO was rated as a five on their film. What? And so if anyone's ever shot on like a DSLR, like if you're gonna Does shoot outside, go that low. I know. <laughs> it was like I couldn't believe it. Uh, I, I part of me still wonders if that was just a typo. <laughs> <laughs> Might be. Because that's insane. I would have thought 50. Because I still shoot film a little bit. Like I have some film stock sitting in my room that I'm getting ready to shoot. And I shoot my f- first reel's uh, film reel is going to be 50 ISO, which is basically you need to be in broad daylight or else it's not going to expose the film. Yeah. It's going to be underexposed. There's just not going to be enough light hitting the film to to give you any image back. And so to do that on a five, what what would happen is they'd have to bring in just crazy amounts of light. Uh, so like on The Wizard of Oz, uh, 1939, yeah. they had to bring in so much light that it's reported some people like had vision impairment afterwards <laughs> because of how much light it took to expose what? all that film. It's <laughs> brutal. Wow. And so what a bill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Welcome Judy Garland. Uh, yeah. Jeez. Say goodbye to sight. Um, <laughs> you can film it. You can't watch it. I know. Right? <laughs> so yeah, it was just a really big pain in the butt. And so, uh, Eventually, I think the last film that shot in Technicolor was in 1954, 1955. Um, and then after that, they still controlled some of the post-production, like processing the film itself or coloring the film in post, helping with all that stuff. But their actual filming technique was no longer in use after the mid-50s. Um, but that's also a really good, interesting time with uh, – I guess musicals and really musicals, I think too, are starting to really come into their own. I mean, I'm not super familiar. I'm not a musical guy either. I, I really don't enjoy musicals on average. Um, I've seen just a handful, but I, what don't you like about musicals? I'm just curious. Um, I mean, similar to what you were saying, I, I get frustrated with starting in on a song that isn't a rhythm or melody I don't like mm. sung by people who aren't the best at what they do. Yeah. Um, so I feel like, I think you even might've said this once. Uh, it's like you're getting the most medium of all endeavors. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah, welcome. This is going to be just okay. <laughs> <laughs> For the next six minutes. 
<laughs> this is going to be me. Yeah, but that era, I think, has a lot to offer because you look at An American in Paris, uh, I think, won Best Picture in 1951. Um mm. And I think that's alluded to in that last final montage sequence when they go to Paris. But what I also think they're alluding to is Technicolor itself because that is a – it was founded in Paris. Oh, uh, uh, okay. And so this whole really? film is lined with the history of Hollywood, which is one of the reasons why Hollywood loved it so much. Yeah. And so go. it's kind of – it's kind of a cheat to make a film about Hollywood and then suddenly get all these awards for it. Like, <laughs> yeah, big surprise there, buddy. Yeah, well. <laughs> but it also know. helps to make an excellent film. Don't yeah. get me wrong. You got to do what you got to do. Absolutely. Whatever it takes to get your next big passion project made. Yep. Um, but this whole film is kind of telling the story of music and Hollywood. Because at a certain point, right, she goes off to do her own thing. And is it until after the fact that he's looking in retrospect and he's saying, you know what, what if I would have embraced her from the moment we met instead Mm -hmm. of waiting? Yeah. What would be different? Because you look at that moment whenever he's doing that whole retrospective and he walks back through the studio and he, they walk through the stage five door uh, or stage four and everything's white, right? That whole background is white and you have this weird little, pattern and then a half finished building what they're alluding to i believe anyway is there was a future there that they didn't create there was something magical that they never got to realize um because of their separate paths because if you think of when film came on the scene it was a new thing right whereas music had been around for centuries the magnitude of everything that music had done was towering and and way over anything that film thinks it could be ready for. Um, And so throughout the film, there's also all these little conversations that play out. And I think there's something to do with uh, technology fighting film history. Um, You hear at the little dinner table, right? The guy is talking about, oh, the talking in theaters or when she's in a, in the audition and uh, there's a camcorder there and cell phones are going off and they're having that conversation talking about, oh, surround sound, da, da, da. And there's a certain element that's being lost about the beauty and magic of Hollywood. Uh, and what I really loved was this was shot on film. Yeah. You yeah, know, there were a few moments where I was looking at like, that looks, <laughs> looks a little grainy. I like yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. It was playing really well. And some of the things they do, I mean, it's, it really shows up beautifully if, and this is where you, you know, I guess you got to be a geek like me because I'm looking at some of these things and I'm like, oh my God, the details and the highlights here are incredible. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas on film, I think that gets blown out. Um, mm. so little silly things like that. Uh, but it's, I think it's littered with all of that stuff. Um, and so when they're doing that whole retrospective, I love that he he also instead of snubbing her he snubs Keith, right? The guy who's trying to make something that's uh, accessible to everybody instead of the pure artist that he wants to be. Right. Because that was the thing that derailed him, and maybe that's what derailed music and the beauty of originality in music that we're seeing today is that everything has been watered down mm-hmm. to be more accessible and and digestible but 
there's but not timeless. It, that's what it loses. Timeless. That's what it loses. You know. Absolutely right. And I, you know, I don't say that with the the thought that I could make something that's timeless. But that but there is a responsibility that I feel like filmmakers, musicians, artists absolutely have to not put out bull. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like to not put out less than their best. Yeah. And that's going to take blood, sweat and tears and it might not even be accepted in your lifetime, but that's the point. You know, uh, I mean, there's so many examples of some, of really, really great artists that didn't even get noticed really while they were alive. I mean, Nick Drake is a good example. Nobody, he never thought anybody would like his music at all. And Pink Moon is one of my favorite records of all time. And, and even when he like, like later on in his life, he Mm -hmm. was just like sad all the time because he just thought that he was no good, but he still did it, you know? And he made really, really amazing music. And I, I think that, that it's your responsibility, Hollywood, to not make Transformers nine and just because you need money. Yeah. You know, like four of them is enough. You know, how about move on to something else or make a good one? Right. Give it to someone else. Yeah. You know, like that's just, let's do, let's make better. Let's make better because at the end of the day, that's what we're experiencing right now. And I feel like that's kind of the warning sign that this film on the sly uh, is is emanating it's saying there's there's danger down this road let's not forget we can go back to our roots we can go back to creating original things like you're saying and doing it in a way that still uh, has artistic merit and it's it's still accessible it's still exciting and new and we're not we're not done yet <laughs> like we right. we don't have to phone it in just yet right. um and I love that conversation at the dinner table, which is an interesting scene because as the scene starts, you know, we, I, I don't have it in front of me, but I want to say they start in like this two shot and then it moves into these singles in the, in that first wide shot, you know, she sees he's there and she runs up, hugs him, hasn't seen him in whatever weeks. And there's that, that togetherness, that closeness that's there. And then that as they sit and start having dinner, uh, we move into these singles, uh, these dirty singles that you can see they're a little over the shoulder, like you can see one and then the other. And then that moment happens when he's like, yeah, I'm going to be on the road, you know, indefinitely. And she's like really upset what? with him. Yeah. Because she's still pursuing her passion. At this point in time, film is still exciting. It's still uh creating i mean you have the french new wave that's happening which is what i think they're alluding to specifically when she goes to paris and she's like yeah we're gonna they tell her we're gonna have to create the story around you um we don't know what we're gonna make just yet uh there was all this new exciting film that was happening in in france and it's called french new wave where uh it was a little more cinema verite or just breaking all the traditional rules you have something like the 400 blows that started really uh doing exciting things that uh instead of being locked down in a studio and where we have to move 
a day at a time. Like, oh, we're going to change the camera's angle. Okay, well, we'll do that tomorrow because it's going to take half a day. Um, whereas in in like the 400 blows, he's just grabbing the camera, pulling it off the tripod, shooting out the window of a car. He's uh, walking down the street with the with the little boy, you know, main character. Uh, and it's it's a beautiful and very influential uh, film in the history of you know Hollywood. And there's all this exciting stuff that's still to come, and that's where she's at right now. She's still seeing all the possibilities, and the last thing in the world she wants to do is to give up on herself. And I think it's just that much more disheartening when she can't believe knowing what's inside this guy. Sebastian's got all this passion pent up in him, and what is he going to do? He's going to go tour for someone else's music that he doesn't love. Yeah, Because that was her point. She was like, I like it just fine. I think it's great music. But you don't. Yeah. What the hell are you doing? Yeah. Um, and so looking at the film through that lens of uh, music versus film and the way they came together and the way they ultimately separated, I think you can pull out all these really interesting Hollywood pieces because on their – I don't know if we can call it their first date, but whenever he goes and meets her at the coffee shop, right? Yeah. Um, and they're walking down the studio lot, you can see – all these pictures happening like feet away from each other. That really doesn't happen today. Yeah, no way. You can't no. because audio is going to bleed. Maybe back in the day. Yeah, yeah. But that's exactly right. Back in the day, that's exactly what they'd do because audio wasn't going to bleed over from one production to the next, and so you'd literally be feet away from another production. Yeah. And as long as their light isn't intruding or uh, their cowboys aren't, you know, walking into your Casablanca set. <laughs> You're good that to go. really happened. Yeah. <laughs> but it wasn't uncommon for a, a a day player or an extra to be used from set to set, you know, just kind of running around being an extra here and there. That's how John Wayne got his start was basically just being a day player and an extra. Wow, look at that. Running around, yeah. Um, and so this film is littered with Hollywood references um and i think it's telling a really important story about hollywood's progression how it got to where it is today along with maybe there's something else new and exciting that's awaiting um even if they had stuck together they didn't there's still there's still something there yeah that's always going to be there yeah yeah i found myself thinking about it, watching it a second time and knowing the the outcome that they're not together I found myself thinking about, um, you know, I used to think growing up that it was impossible to love more than one person mm. when I was like a little kid. Yeah. Uh, I used to think, what's the point? Yeah. You know, maybe yeah, you one soulmate and that's yeah, it. But you just think, mm-hmm. you know, like you just think you're in love, but you're not really in, in love, love. There's only one person that you're going to be in love, love with. And, you know, you grow up and you, you realize, no, you can love a lot of people in a lot of different ways, you know? Um, and it's it's about that connection and turning you into the person that you need to be for the next person you're going to be in love with, right? Yeah. And that's very much what it felt like in this regard. It was important for them to be together. It was important for them to have that time. And uh, because of that, it turned her into that woman that got that role which completely changed her life. And then she met her husband, they had the baby 
and she's happy, you know, and she's right where she wants to be. And yet it's bittersweet a little bit for them, probably more so for us because we've been following. They are all we know as a, as a, you know, as viewers, Yeah. like we only know, uh, those two characters as together we don't know them as with other people yeah. so but they're you know she's been with her husband and and you know so she's familiar with that so it's a, a little bittersweet for her um and for him but he has his club she has her her film career and her husband and her family they are happy you know they are you know they they know the possibilities that could have happened but it's more for for us it's like a little gut wrenching because you're just like no just run to him you know yeah. but that can't happen you know it can't and it's such a beautiful melancholy and that's yeah. i think the number one thing that draws me to this film is that tone of uh yeah there's all this magic there's all this candling but ultimately it just wasn't the perfect fit it wasn't the right fit forever yeah. It was the right fit for for time, mm-hmm. but maybe not for the long haul and, and the places that we want to go with each other. And the amazing thing about that is he recognizes that when she's sitting outside after that audition and she's asking him, where are we at? And he's like, the park. She's like, no, 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 no. You know, where are we at? And he's like, well, listen, you're going to get it and you're going to need to put all your attention on that. That's yeah. okay. Yeah. I'm going to need to do the same with what I love and what I'm trying to do. And, and, and the, at the end, too, when she's leaving the club and she turns around and looks at him and they have that moment, he's the one that smiles at her. He yeah. gives her the, it's okay. Yeah. Kind of like, like, I'm all right with this, you know, because you know she's okay. She's happy. She has everything she's ever wanted. She's married. She has, a, you know, her baby. You don't know that he's okay. You know he has this club and everything, but you, is he lonely? Is he like bitter that she made it and and or whatever uh, and left him behind? Like you don't you don't know. Yeah. You just know that he's sad because he plays this this gut wrenching song, <laughs> yeah. you know. And then you see what they could have been, and then he gives her the like. It's not even a quarter smile. It's like yeah. a thirty second of a smile, barely anything. Which he does really well. Oh, Let's just say, yeah. I mean, if you ever seen Drive, <laughs> right. he does that really well. Uh, and, and she's okay, yeah. All right? And then she can turn and leave, and that's how, and that's how it ends. And so he gives her the okay that that this is, I'm all right. This is good. And I love that. The very next thing he does is looks at his band. He's like one, two. One, two, three, four. And we assume music starts playing because the show goes on. Music keeps going. Life keeps going. But I love that we don't hear it. We don't yeah. hear whatever that next song is. Yeah. Um, we just slowly fade to black because that's the exact opposite of what happened at the end of Whiplash. Um, oh, yeah. It's a very frenetic ending. And then it just punches straight to black. Um, and it, it was perfect. And it was perfect here, too, because the note, the message was was its own new thing and it was a slow dissolve um, because it is melancholy. It is bittersweet. It is something to think on. And I love that too many films don't do that enough. They don't leave you an emotional wreck Yeah, <laughs> in a good way because it's reflective. Yeah. It makes you think about your own life. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's an incredibly rare feat 
to do successfully. Mm-hmm. I mean, so it's it's arguably the most important thing for a film uh, is arguably its opening and its closing, right? Yeah. How does it open and how does it close? Yeah. Uh, the opening scene oh of this film is uh, a, f- a feat of production wonderment. Yeah. I mean, they they actually shut down the freeway, right? Yeah. In L.A. to do this, an overpass in L.A. to do this. And that whole shot is a single shot, but they they had to do some cutaways. They did I a couple. They hit there were a couple edits. like whips. Yeah, that looked like it could have been cut. Yeah, I think they hit a few edits. Um, and you usually want to do that in a close up. Uh, like if you're painting over a the cement block as you're transitioning from one car to another, or switching from one lane to the next uh, over the median. That's the kind of mm-hmm. section where you can hide and edit, whether it's a, a hard cut or a very quick dissolve. Uh, that can be a very easy way to like, okay, we're going to piece together these two shots that work the best. Um, or you just are perfect, which is too much. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, and that was... It happens in other product, productions, but... I will say watching it the second time was way more like... like in love with that opening scene. The first time I was like, Oh man, this is what we're getting into. Like massive (laughs) overproduction and they're not singing because they couldn't sing. Let's just be, they couldn't really sing during this because there's, it was all about the camera and not about the singing, you know, uh, and, and the dancing, which I, I totally get watching it the second time and knowing what was happening. But like the, the first time I thought, oh man, this is gonna be so long yeah. and musical. <laughs> or the credits here, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but a- but after that, obviously, you know, yeah. I-, I liked it. Um, but watching it a second time, when I knew what it was, I was gonna get. I completely appreciated it a different way. Yeah, you know what? What I really appreciate on that opening scene is the moving truck pops open. Yes. And the, the rhythm section is yeah. in there. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. I don't think they have ventilation in there, man. I no. think they are just suffocating. Totally. And totally. I mean, when it's their moment, they freaking kill it. But yeah. uh, I also <laughs> feel sorry for those guys. I see yeah. one guy, it looks like he's just sweating his heart out. I mean, you know, winter in L.A. is still 85, <laughs> 90 degrees, you know, especially in the valley. It looked like they were coming from the valley. But they do. They nail it. And I think one of the things I'm impressed with um, – or I don't know, maybe disappointed by it. I can't really tell. But <laughs> they they do Good film. nail these shots. But there's also these slight little... So I just finished watching Mindhunter. It's this new Netflix show that... I don't think it was created by David Fincher, but he directed the first one or two episodes. And so I got really used to these perfectly executed dolly moves where... Everything in the frame is completely locked off. The uh, nothing's going to move that shouldn't be moving. We're going to we're going to dolly in, and the edges of this frame are going to be freaking level perfect. And so, watching going from that to watching La La Land, where there are all these little imperfections, which I think it's by design. I don't think he got into post and was like, you know what? No, let's not stabilize this shot a little bit more. Um, so that we can sell it. I think it was supposed to be a callback to 
the roots of Hollywood and musicals and uh, being true to that. Uh, so I, some of these shots I'm watching are like, ah, oh, that wasn't perfectly executed. Oh, yeah. You know, for and sure. the, some of these transitions, some of these transitions are freaking incredible and just on point. Like that scene that we played at the beginning when it transitions from night to day, that is absolutely immaculate. I'm fairly confident they babysat the uh, the tripod right there. They didn't let it move because they're watching the house and you're watching it go from from night to day uh, and it dissolves very quickly and she vanishes. Um, you and I have done that before. Yeah. Um, and that's literally what we had to do. We had to sit next to the tripod and the camera all night like we didn't yeah. get a wink of sleep yeah. in the middle of this music video shoot um now they could probably afford to like oh we're just gonna compare shots from one to the next but you're shooting on film at, at a certain point you don't really know if you're getting it exactly right um so i think it it makes a lot of sense to lock it off uh, bolt it to the ground and sit a PA there for, you know, 12 hours. Yeah. <laughs> and then we're going to get it right. Oh, man. Um, so there's shots like that, but then there's other shots. They do so many of these little transitional moments with the, uh, the lighting that I really love. It's not, it's not perfect, um, which can be a really very difficult thing because lighting is not an easy thing to, to, you have electricity running through these things. And so if you have a dimmer and you're just slightly dimming it, it's really hard to be exactly perfect because there's these kind of little ebbs and flows. Like you might be consistently dialing down, but the light isn't necessarily translating that one to one ratio wise. Yeah. Um, and so there's just these little moments in the lighting that I'm like, yeah, that's not a smooth ramp down. Um, but it's still brilliantly, executed and used uh that scene uh kills me the scene where she sings in her audition oh yeah that whole song is i think the most beautiful moment in the film for sure but that camera move is amazing i'm part of me is like did they really go handheld or did they put it on a crane then add some wiggle and post to make it feel handheld because in order to go handheld they that transition is really a pain in the ass. You have to dial it down all the way until you give yourself a little leeway. Maybe you overexpose the image by a stop. And that way, whenever the lights are completely off, you're like, okay, now all this is black. Even if it's not technically black in frame, we can mat it out. And that way the, the people running the audition, we have to separate them now because I'm going to walk right through them in order to get my close up of uh, Mia. And yeah. we, so that's, that's to me easier accomplished on a crane because now you can just have the crane hover over it yeah. and zoom around her. And all of that is just timed incredibly well. So, I mean, maybe they just spent a day and they put the, the table on rollers. Uh, and it splits in two. I don't know. But whenever it pulls back and they're right back in place, yeah. and when the lights cut back on, I'm like, 
damn it. <laughs> you guys. That sounds like a fun meeting to have. It really does. You know, like, how do we do get this? I have no idea. Let's, <laughs> let's figure it out. And it moves me. And I love that song so much because it's a, it's a really wonderful sentiment. Um, because what she's saying, right, is we are what ultimately artists, artists propel society forward. They need us. <laughs> Because they don't know who we're going to think of. They don't know about, whatever, Star Trek and Gene Roddenberry. We create not knowing where it's going to go. And it sucks. I don't know. I think because you're vulnerable. Mm Mm-hmm. And I love that she says that. That it takes a little bit of madness. Yeah. To keep going, despite like it doesn't it doesn't even matter what if anyone hears it or sees it or says they like it. it it's that you have to get it out. You know, it has to be said, it has to be shown, it has to be told, it has to be created in some way because you need to do it. It needs to be done. And, you know, you owe it to the art to get it out there. You do, and even to yourself. Bastiat didn't know that he was going to be Bastiat. Yeah, yeah. Picasso didn't know he was transcending art. Yeah. Like there's Radiohead to them. They live in a world where there's no Radiohead. <laughs> Can you imagine living in a world with no Radiohead? No. That's amazing. But they do. Like, yeah. It's amazing. And it is a vulnerable place to be and to not know how you're going to be received or if you're going to be received. And that song is such a beautiful encapsulation because she'd already given up. Yeah. Yeah, and there she was. Mm-hmm. All over again. It's a, <laughs> it's a marathon, man. You know, it's um game of last man standing. And uh, how much you love the art. And, I mean... This film is really, really good at at bringing that out, like bringing that thought out of an artist. You know, like that's watching it. You and I are both artists in yeah. different ways. Yeah. You know, uh, different mediums, but um, we both can relate to that to that feeling of I tried it, I gave it my best, yeah. and <laughs> okay, now I'm going to move on. Uh, and sometimes that's okay. Uh, but sometimes it's not. Yeah, sometimes you got to keep going. I think. Yeah. I mean, you can look at so many artists who, whether they arrived early and didn't sustain. I think child actors do that a lot, or oh, yeah. the whole idea of musicians being a one-hit wonder. Um, you get your moment, and maybe it doesn't last as long as you wanted it to, or you just arrive really late to the scene. Uh, I think of Ridley Scott all the time because he was a commercial director. 
before oh, wow, he yeah. made Alien. And he wasn't, he was, <laughs> that's crazy. He was almost 40 years old when he made Alien. Uh, <laughs> and by old standards or even current standards, it's like if you haven't done it by 25, you're not going to do it. Yeah. You know, that's kind of the way that the, the thinking goes. But you look at other people, uh, whether it's Morgan Freeman or Samuel Jackson, uh, these guys just, they're plugging away, yeah. doing it and showing yeah. up because that. If you can do anything else, go do that. <laughs> Look, the, the, the point is, um, w- with that, it's that do it as long as you love it. Whatever it is, and, and I'm going to, you know, I wanted that desperately growing up. I didn't necessarily get that. I got more of, or at least it felt like, I, I got more of the... Um, Make sure that you get a good job. Mm. You know, get you you know go to go to college, get your education. And I'm not snubbing. I, I went to college. I got my education, and I'm glad I did. Um, but it's that's not for everyone. Yeah. And and you know when I, I as I'm raising my kids, I want them to know that that look if you love something, I mean really love it. I don't mean like like this is. This is a pretty cool. I really like this guitar kind of thing. No, I mean like I I will wither away to nothing if I don't play this 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Then, damn it, go do it. But you better do it hardcore, and you better do yeah. it like like you better love it. And if you love it, do it. There is no reason to spend a single day doing something that you hate. Uh, when you know that there's something that you love that you could be doing, you know, a lot, it's, it's understandable if you go to a job you don't really like, you don't have another one, you don't know what you want, you know, that's understandable. But if you know, man, I want to be doing this, this thing, then find a way, you know, and that's the difference between like the Harrison Fords and the, the Ridley Scott's and the, the ones that don't, aren't Ridley Scott, you know, it doesn't matter that he's 40 and he, you know, he was 40 before it, it. What matters is that it happened because he was 40 and still did it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's so many reasons to quit. All you need is that one reason that's enough to not. Because everyone, I think at a certain point begins to, especially in Hollywood and the entertainment industry, they begin to look at you for what you've done. Yeah. And oh Yeah. So they start looking at Ridley Scott and they say, you know, you're 39 and you're you're a commercial director. That's what you do. They look at De- David Fincher and they say mm-hmm. you're a music video director. Um, whatever, like, and it becomes really easy to be satisfied with what you've achieved and how far you've gone. But uh, that's where the little bit of madness comes in. It's like, you know what? No, I'll burn it all down right now because there's something in me. Yeah. That has to know. Do yeah. I have it? Yeah. And so this movie is great about that. I know. It's yeah. really obviously. Obviously. We got a lot to talk about. I mean, you know, and I'm I'm one of those ones like I you know, uh music was my thing for uh, nearly better under twenty years and it was all I loved, all I wanted to do every day, all day, and I don't do it anymore. Mm. But I'm okay with that. I mean, 
I have my guitars, I have my piano and and everything, and I still play around and I I do I write and stuff. But I found this other thing yeah. that I get more enjoyment out of, twi- twice as much enjoyment out of it, and so that's what I. I chose to do that and, and I'm lucky. It sucks. I found it later in life, but it's great that I found it period. Yeah. So yeah. And, and that's one example, you know, um, uh, Steve jobs said, if you wake up too many days in a row and you look in the mirror and you don't want to go do what you're about to do, then change it. And that was a decision that I made it. And it was one that I, as soon as I made it, I felt like a weight was lifted. Like wow. this is, this is 100% the right. Like there was no question as soon as I decided. That's amazing. Cause at that point you're, you're leaving like 20 years of work. Yeah. 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 I mean, and it, it was, it was kind of like, I've had two aha moments in my life. One of them was when I knew I wanted to marry my wife. It was just like a moment. It was like a spark in my brain. Like, Oh my God, I have to, I have to ask her right now before she realizes that she, (laughs) she could do way better. Uh, and it was when I realized I would rather train for Ironman and do triathlon than it was, than play music. Wow. It was just like, Oh, this, yes, this, Oh my God, I don't care. I don't, you know, like in the film when she was with her, her boyfriend. Mm. Oh yeah. And yeah. she heard the song. <laughs> That's right. And she said, I'm sorry. And we got up and left. And we never saw that guy again in the yeah. film. Like <laughs> that, that was the feeling I had. Yeah. It was a great feeling. Yeah. She escapes. Yeah. She moment. escapes. Yeah. <laughs> and she was happy about it. She was she so was. happy. She's running down the street in high heels. Yeah. Yeah. I put on my heels and I ran down the street. I love that because after, right after that she goes to the uh, the theater, right? And yeah. they're watching Rebel without a cause. Yes. Um, and what what's kind of cool about the whole section is in the film they're driving up to the observatory, um, and then they their hands slowly start to touch as they're watching this scene unfold, and they're about to kiss, and it's interrupted by the film itself melting. Yes. Um, and. That's when they have the bright idea. Let's actually go to the observatory, and they yeah. end up dancing among the stars, which is very symbolic and maybe literal. Um, which I didn't like at first, by the way. Oh, really? The first time I watched it, I, I was I thought, man, I love this film and I hate this scene. It's over the top. It was way over the top. <laughs> I liked it a lot better this time. Yeah, a lot better. Yeah. It. it, it because I understood the film a little bit better. Yeah. Because so. it's being really literal right there. I mean, Hollywood, you're dancing with the stars. Yeah. Yuck, yuck, yuck. yuck. Um, <laughs> there's another scene that I find that's I personally love. Like, I think my favorite line in here is whenever he gets his job back at the beginning and he convinces J.K. Simmons, you know, yeah. that, uh, which, by the way, J.K. Simmons in here is such a great little. <laughs> I loved it. Extra talking uh, about jazz, yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> it's the the polar opposite because, and we'll just go on a little whiplash tangent um, because yes. of his role in Whiplash, right? Uh, yeah. Being just this Nazi of a director, mm-hmm. um, and then suddenly being the soft guy is like, no, nah, no one wants to hear that crap. Yeah, um, you have that moment, and then you also have the the reference to. Charlie Parker, because in Whiplash yes. they keep talking about how Charlie. I want to be Charlie Parker. Name, yes, uh, with the symbol, and in this it's uh, 
chicken on a stick. He's like, that's how that's how Bird got his name. So it gives you this idea that there's all these ideas or the stories that float around about Charlie Parker yeah. and the business in general. No one really knows why MOS is called MOS. There's, uh, it's supposed to mean without sound, and they kind of back their way into, well, it means whatever German phrase or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. But there's the, the Hollywood... And so MOS means you're filming without sound. So if you're shooting like a Thank music you, I was video, ask you. Um, if you're shooting music video or maybe a montage and you're not capturing dialogue, you're not capturing any ambient noise, then that's MOS. Um, you're not rolling any audio. Uh, you don't have a sound sound man on set capturing audio. Um, and there's you mark it on the slate and you even slate it a particular way so that you don't clap the slate. You put your hand in there mm. so that the clapper can't uh, close, and now you're shooting MOS. But there's the story of there's a German director from way back, I don't know, in the 50s or 60s or something, and he, having a thick German accent, couldn't pronounce without. He would say, mid-out, mid-out sound, mid-out sound, and so... The, the rumor goes that it's MOS because of that director saying mid-out sound. It just kind of caught on. So it's MOS, not WOS. And then... Seriously? That's the rumor. We're so weird as yeah. people. Wow. <laughs> and so it could be that or it could be how did Bird get his name? <laughs> right? Yes. And so it's, there's all these theories and rumors that kind of float around. And I love that he... Damon Chazelle kind of floated it right back into his next film. It's great. So good. And so, okay, so get back to that scene. Yeah. He gets his job back and he sits down at the piano. The waitress walks by and she says, you know, welcome back. (laughs) And he says back to her, he's like, there's a nice way to say that, Karen. (laughs) (laughs) So good. I love that her name is Karen. I don't know why that's funny because her name is Karen. It kills me. And then he starts playing. He's playing this crappy Christmas music. And there's this thing in in film. It's called the 180-degree rule. And I don't have pictures to show you because you're listening to a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) And so I'm going to try to paint you a picture. Imagine two people are sitting at a restaurant, sitting across the table from each other. And now think of looking them from overhead and one person is at the top of the frame. One person's at the bottom of the frame. You draw a line that runs right down their heads, connecting them like the shortest point or the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. So if me looking at you is one point, that's our eye line. That's what we're looking. And so if that's a line, we need to be on one side, on the left side of that line or the right side. If I'm standing behind one person and I want to see the the person that's in front of them, I have to step to the left or step to the right. That becomes your your line of separation. That's your 180-degree rule. So now if I step to the right, I need to stay on the right side of that line for the rest of this scene. And that's going to make sure spatially our audience always stays oh. aware of what is happening. If you're looking at a place, yeah, okay. I can I can connect that. And so if I'm filming that scene and let's say Wes is on the bottom half of that scene 
and Todd's on the top half of that scene, if I'm going to shoot it from my right shoulder, then whenever I go to shoot from your point of view, I'm going to be on your left shoulder because I'm not crossing that line. Oh, okay. I get it. Yeah. yeah. So this is this is a rule in Hollywood. This is a rule, a filmmaking rule, so that it's fairly hard rule. I personally don't see it as a hard rule, and but you kind of need to know it's a rule if you're going to break it, because yeah. they break it in this film, in this scene. Whenever he goes from playing these Christmas songs, we slide behind his shoulder. Up until that point, we've been filming the scene from his right side. As he's, as he's been talking and chatting with J.K. Simmons or whoever, yeah. we've been on his right side. Right. Um, and then they slide over as he's transitioning to freestyling. And he starts going into his own little ditty. Yeah, he f- he's on the other side. Yeah, they transition. And the reason you do that is you're changing perspectives. You can see films do this all the time if they know what they're doing. Um because it's a way to shift, and it's such a physical thing that the audience doesn't know is happening, but they feel it. You feel something's changing, even though you can't put your finger on it. Uh-huh. But this is what they're doing. They're sliding across, and they're breaking that 180-degree rule so that now they can represent a new point of view, a new angle. Something else is happening. Something's is, changing. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah. For, oh, man. And they do that in this scene. They do, yeah. For some reason, I thought in the beginning, I just always felt like the camera point of view from the camera was where the the entrance, like the door, mm-hmm. is. But it's on the other side of the piano. That's oh, yeah, where she yeah. walks in, yeah. right? Yeah. So yeah. she walks in the, on the other side of the piano from where you start. Yes. So that's where the door was initially. Mm-hmm. You're just on the other side of the piano when he gets up and he storms out or yeah. whatever and bumps into her. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. It's, it's a little wow. filmmaking technique that, you know, you you can use, I mean, anytime, I guess, technically. Uh, yeah. If you know what you're doing and you know why you're doing it. There's a show that I used to love on HBO called In Treatment. Mm. And they would do it every single episode. It was kind of where I got obsessed with it uh, because it was always at a very critical juncture of the session. In Treatment is about a – and it was – to me, it was pretty groundbreaking. I think they took it from a Spanish, uh, not a soap opera, but a Spanish drama, um, maybe Argentinian, Argentine. Um, mm-hmm. But they remade it in, in English, uh, and it was Gabriel Byrne, um, and he was amazing. But they released a new episode five days a week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. What? With a new person in session because he was a therapist. And so they were in treatment and every day they just had an, his Monday uh, client and his Tuesday client. Dude, that's so cool. And then on Friday, I, need to go watch this. I, I loved it. And then on Friday uh, it was his session with his therapist. Um, and you learn so much, but uh, every single episode, I swear they would break that, that rule by sliding behind him or the other character uh, to indicate there's a breakthrough coming or there's a, there's a, critical juncture that's happening right now that's going to change the way we're seeing uh, one or the other of the of these characters so it's a pretty cool technique that wow did they do this at any other point in the film that you noticed uh not i mean yeah when in her her big uh, audition they swivel around her and that's a pretty big moment yeah yeah. um, because her whole life changes after that and so yeah yeah that's 
Yeah, I think uh, it's so cool. I think there's probably I, a lot of moments like that. Now I want to go back and rewatch it yeah. a third time. <laughs> nice. So I think that's about all I, I got. Some more notes, but I don't know that they add up to anything. I didn't organize them like an order. <laughs> You're not. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, do you have a recommendation for the week? Yeah, uh, I'm gonna recommend Moana. Ooh. I know, right? Right. Um, when it first came out, I thought, oh, it's I don't know. Uh, it wasn't really anything that I would could relate to, but I had to watch it because my son, <laughs> <laughs> and and he I've, so I've probably seen it about ten times now, and it's it's really well done. Um, I don't I don't think that that they can really not do it well, but the rock is fantastic in it. He really actually sings um, uh, as uh, Maui, who's the main. Demi God, oh, no he really actually sings. It was the soundtrack was written by um, the guy who wrote Hamilton, Lin Manuel. The, yeah, Lin Manuel. Miranda? Yep, yeah. Wow. He wrote the soundtrack to it, and my wife is obsessed with that. <laughs> uh, and you can kind of hear it. There's there's rapping in it. Uh, there's um, some really uh, aggressive, like more rock style stuff or whatever. But it's it's really really cool. Oh it's a great God. story too. Yeah. So my recommendation is one I can't remember if I've already recommended it or not. Um, That's always good. I don't. I mean, we, think I have. As we, but, as we go through, we're gonna forget. Yeah, and maybe I'll just compile a list so that I don't. It's, maybe it's a reminder for the other time. That you're right. Saying. That's true. Uh, so I'm recommending Sing Street. You did. Are you sure? Yes. You remember which episode? There's episodes. I thought it was a film. Well, I mean, I mean, which uh, podcast I recommend? Oh no, I don't. Okay, um, but it was pretty recent, actually. You should probably have remembered that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just couldn't remember. It might have like, been two ago. I know, right? I just couldn't remember a film that we'd done recently that I would recommend it for. Like, oh yeah, you know what I mean? Like, uh, I'm recommending it here because it's no, your in the your recommendations category. are aren't always like. Oh, I bet. Well, Baby Driver. I've, oh yeah, that yeah, could maybe. be. Let's see. No, haha, uh, not for that one anyway. Um, okay. So if it is, I'll double down and say really go watch Sing Street. What I love okay. about it is it you can look at it as a musical. I don't. I think of it as kind of a, a band story like The Doors or The Commitments or something like that where you're not really – it's not technically a musical, but there's music involved. Um, and it's made by the director of – the writer-director of Once – uh, except I feel like Sing Street is so much better and it's accessible without being saccharine. And that's really difficult to do. Um, I loved it so much. I think I watched it the next day again, uh, <laughs> which you may be thinking that that's all Wes does is rewatch movies that he likes. And it's not really I'm looking at you right now. <laughs> but here's thinking, the thing. Yeah. Before we started this podcast, that wasn't something I normally didn't go rewatch movies in theater. It's not oh, okay. before this podcast. I watched <laughs> guardians of the galaxy twice and, uh, interstellar, uh, a thousand times. I was going to say how many times, like seven. Yeah. At this point I've seen it seven, but other than those two, any movie that I rewatched in theater was only because the people I was with wanted to rewatch a movie. I oh. never intentionally set out to watch a movie again. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
Literally, yeah. Even yeah. as a kid, if I would rather go watch a new movie yeah. uh, instead of go watch Jurassic Park twice. Mm-hmm. Um, That's okay. Yeah, I wasn't complaining. <laughs> Such well, a great... for one, I just anytime I could see a movie, it was a freaking good day. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it's Jurassic Park. That is Jurassic Park. Uh, which, by the way, in the theater, I remember watching it for the first time, and in that scene where they're getting recruited in on site, uh, Doctor Grant and his lady. Uh, yeah. Laura Dern there in the theater is a boom mic in the shot. No, no kidding. And I think they just framed it wrong, uh, in the, uh, in the theater. And it's something maybe they crop in later as they go to, to VHS. Oh, there was literally in the shot of that scene, there was a freaking boom mic. And I remember seeing that for the first time, like, Oh, that's stealing but, magic. Okay, so it's it's on the film, but when you project it in the theater, you don't see it because it's cut off? It, right, right, because, because they're, they're the aspect it. ratio is Yeah, different. the aspect ratio, uh, but they also have those black curtains at the top that's uh, blocking some of that light. And so I think it was one of those things that just kind of escaped. <laughs> and I remember, oh, that's cool. And I feel like I, I was crazy. I, I don't remember ever talking about it afterwards because after you see that movie, you're just like dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But if anyone else saw it in theater with a bad projection, <laughs> please tell me I'm not and crazy. And that's the only place you could see it? You can't see it in – Yeah. In I like, mean in, on video now, right? It, everything's yeah. fine because they've, yeah, right. they've since – cropped it and oh man yeah how like cool is that how insane. old were you when you saw that oh gosh i, would, I don't know 12 13 oh wow yeah and you re- and you remember seeing that yeah wow it was confusing <laughs> like, yeah, I like did what not... is that fuzzy thing yeah like what that's a microphone i think <laughs> it doesn't look like it's supposed to be there that's <laughs> <laughs> wow craziness yeah well, this has been fun, man. Uh, this has been a good episode. Yeah. Um, next week, we have a special guest coming in. Yes. We're going to be doing Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Oh, my God. I can't wait to watch oh that again. Oh, my God. I'm watching it tomorrow, and I'm debating whether or not I'm taking notes. I'm just so yeah. excited to watch that movie yeah. again. Yeah. So we'll have a special guest next week to discuss that. Uh, don't forget to subscribe and review us on iTunes. And drop us a note if there's a film. We did this film because Katya asked for it. So shout out to Katya. Uh, Kat, yeah. thanks for listening. And you can drop us a note at thepestlepodcast.com slash Land if you want to say something about this particular episode or yeah. just say, hey, do Scott Pilgrim, which you'll get. Which you're going to get. <laughs> With our special guest, yes, which I can't, I can't wait to have him in here. We're gonna geek out. So oh hard. my god, <laughs> it's gonna be so much fun. Yes, one of the one of the best actors I know too. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Hands down. We're not gonna say his name yet, right? We're no. just gonna. Yeah. Okay. Cool. We'll tease it. So we'll leave you with a quote of the day. This one's from Gene Kelly. The way I look at a musical, you are commenting on the human condition, no matter what you do. A musical may be light and frivolous, but by its very nature, it makes some kind of social comment. That's really good. Yeah. I don't know that I've seen enough musicals to agree or disagree, mm-hmm. but I think it makes a lot of sense because I think that's one of the inherent natures of writing songs Yeah, is you're largely going to be coming from a place of the soul, a place of the heart. Mm-hmm. And what I've always loved about music uh, which really was my first love, is that 
in three minutes, three and a half minutes, right? You can take someone on a journey that it takes a movie an hour and a half to do. Um, and so hopefully a musical can take you on 10 of those journeys. Yeah. You know, um, I think it's the point, like the, the goal of a musical to do that. They don't always do that. At least not for me. Yeah. Um, so I, I can see where this, where he's coming from, especially since that's what he did. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. I agree if it's done right. And I feel like La La Land did it right because mm-hmm. it was, the whole thing wasn't a musical. Right. There were, there was a lot of like real acting, real important moments where they didn't cut away to, to music where it was like, it wasn't like, uh, um, the jets and right. you know it, it, because i mean anytime they do break out in a musical maybe not anytime but when he and her break out into their song and dance routine right it's it doesn't feel as contrived i mean they they ease into it especially the, the big the big number uh when they're overlooking the the city that's such a gradual ease in moment that it didn't just go from I'm so mad at you and finger snaps, finger snaps, finger snaps. Like <laughs> yeah. That. They do yeah. ease in and out yeah. pretty well. Yeah. I it was yeah. yeah, I think it was done right. And so I kind of I mean that's why we felt what we felt at yeah. the end, you know? And it wasn't just all about the music. It was about the story, not just the music, which I loved. Yeah. You know, it was like I feel like he, he was okay, let's make a story first and then let's turn it into a musical. Yeah. But, you know, music in between important stuff. The important stuff was acted. And I think that that is why I liked it. Maybe. What? (laughs) (laughs) You're going. (laughs) Best part of the movie. So good. Yeah. It's been fun, man. I've I've really enjoyed this one. I think this might be one of my favorites. Ditto. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. So good. All right. We're going to let you guys go. Uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, again, make sure to subscribe and let us know what you're thinking. And uh, if there's a film that you'd like us to uh, review. Heck yeah. Until next time, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch some movies. Mm-hmm.